Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back to KSL News Radio. So glad that you're joining us today, staying with us. Just uh, Morgan, just so many interesting topics to discuss today. Uh, the, the news doesn't stop. We know this. It just Espe- does. Even in the pandemic, especially in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We want to take a moment to, to stop and commemorate uh, an accomplishment in the state of Utah. And this is a, a, a subject matter that doesn't get a lot of talk, except for people who are really paying close attention to this and people directly impacted by this particular issue. But we're joined now by Representative Angela Romero. Representative, thanks for joining us. Um, you're welcome, Jason. Nice to um see you well not see you but talk with you again i know we had our other panel on tuesday yeah we did so we've we've been doing a lot of things together i want to talk about a couple of those if you don't mind but maybe talk about something that you did with our legislature but this is some great forward thinking on your part a bill that you ran in 2017 uh that was requiring um rape kits to be tested at the state crime lab at the time uh, i want to hear you talk about the problem there were were thousands of untested sexual assault kits in the state of utah but a big accomplishment has just happened on that particular issue because of your work please tell us about it and what we're what where where we are now because of it? Well, prior to me joining the legislature and being elected, um, Representative Jennifer Selig was concerned with the backlog of sexual assault kits, so she started the conversation, and I finished it. And so the state of Utah, well, Salt Lake County in particular, received some um, grants to address the backlog, and then the state joined on. So all the backlog kits that we're talking about now were funded through a grant. And then in 2000. 17, I passed a bill that mandated the testing of all sexual assault kits going forward. And so the accomplishment now is addressing those backlog kits. So we have seven left, and then the backlog is we officially don't have a backlog, but we currently still have kits um, that are um, not from that piece that my bill addresses. But the most important thing about the legislation that I ran is that we were able to create a tracking system for survivors so they can track to see where their kit was because a lot of kits sat on shelves for a long time and women were frustrated and other, it's not just women that are sexually assaulted, but people were frustrated about their kit not getting processed and tested. And what we saw from the backlog and us getting hits on CODIS, which is a system where um, the DNA goes on, is there were a lot of people who were perpetrators who were, um, violating other people, and if we would have tested that kit before, kit before, maybe somebody else wouldn't have been a victim of that that particular perpetrator. So this has been a work in progress. I've been advocating for funding for over all the years I've been in the legislature, and we finally got that full funding of $2.5 million last session, um, and we're moving forward, and the goal is to, um, right now it's taking about 90 days to process kits, but the goal is to process kits within 30 days of um, receiving it at the crime lab. But what HB 200, which is the bill oh. I passed, has provided a, a pathway so survivors and everyone else could track that kit from the time um, the, per- the individual gets 
the um, examination to when it is processed by the crime lab. Well, let's talk about it. There was another component of your legislation that I thought was very interesting as you hear about it in its application. Uh, you know, there's the tracking, which was, which was so helpful, but it also provided some funding for trauma sensitivity, sensitivity training uh, for police officers. That is one of those crucial moments when you want people to have that kind of training. Maybe talk about why you did that and some of the impact of officers being trained specifically for this. Well, when we were, um, I was working, working with Dr. Julie Valentine, who's been an advocate, a professor at BYU when addressing sexual assault, and Donna Kelly at the time, who was working in the uh, Attorney General's office. And the one thing they were afraid of um, was the loss of federal funding because Donna's job with the Prosecution Council was funded by the federal government. And so we wanted to make sure that we didn't have to worry about a grant being lost, and we wanted to make sure that was part of the bill, so we wrote that into the bill, and um, because of that, law enforcement is now being trained and prosecutors as well on how to be tra- more trauma informed, and it's all research based. Dr. Valentine is um, a leading expert in the country when it comes to sexual assault, and so she was very instrumental in that happening. But the goal for us was to ensure that when law enforcement contacts has contact with a sexual assault, assault victim that that victim feels comfortable and they feel like they believe and they feel like that reporting what happened to them will move forward. And a lot of times there were negative experiences between um, somebody who had been a victim of sexual assault and law enforcement. And that's what really held this bill back prior to me joining the legislature was the fact that people really didn't feel like we had to mandate the testing of all sexual assault kits because it was a he said, she said scenario and um, what we did with HB 200 is we're like, it's not just about a he said, she said. This is about um, anyone can be a, a victim of sexual assault. It can be a, a, a same-sex relationship. Any, anyone can be sexually assaulted, it doesn't, and it's not a stranger. And what we did with this bill is we opened up that line of conversation. Most people who are victims of sexual assault are sexually assaulted by somebody they know. It's somebody within their circle of trust. And so we changed the conversation, not about just processing the kits, but talking about how do we move forward as a state when we're looking at sexual assault and how do we make sure that victims feel like they're believed so that they'll report sexual assault because the majority of victims who are sexually assaulted don't report because they don't feel like they're going to be believed. And that's why the training was so important for us. Yeah, a great component of that bill. It's so interesting, and there are so many people that are so appreciative of the work that you're doing on that. Uh, We want to switch gears for a moment and talk about the Democratic Convention. We just spoke with Scott Howell about it, and he's been a Biden supporter for many years. But you were a Sanders delegate at the convention, and I want to get your take on this, what your thoughts on the convention were like and how Sanders supporters are feeling about Joe Biden. I think you have a a mix, and I think you'll find that with any delegation of individuals. Um, I was going back and forth from um, committee meetings and the special session to convention, and I was also part of the rules committee. And um, a lot of um, Sanders supporters didn't support the party platform because it didn't include Medicare for all. And so that's a huge issue for many of us who who, um, share um, Senator Sanders' ideology. Um, we feel it's so important that we support Joe Biden because, um, for me, I have fear of another Donald Trump 
presidency, and that's my my personal opinion. And I think there are many people out there, as we've heard Senator Sanders and some of the other individuals who ran for um, president under the Democratic Party, our concern is the way the direction our country is going. And so we know that we may not all view things the same, but we have to unite together as Democrats to ensure that Joe Biden is the next president of the United States. So do you see uh, do, you, do you see the Democratic Party uh, uh, coalescing right now then as well? Because even even you know Bernie Sanders with that group and what you've been advocating for as well seemed like in this convention that they did seem to come together with one unified force. You think you'll be able to keep it that way? Well, you know you can never predict that, but I, I hope so for the sake of our country. And again, this is my personal opinion. And um, we'll see what happens moving forward. It'll be interesting with um, with Kamala, um, Senator Harrison, on the ticket and to see how um, we've already seen some backlash there. And even within within Democrats and whether people will stick with the Democrat ticket or whether they'll vote third party. But and we've also seen backlash of people um, claiming that she's not a U.S. citizen. And so there's a, a lot of a long road ahead of us as a country, not just as even within Democrat and the Republican Party, on how we make sure that we're an inclusive nation and that we're accepting of all. And and so that's um, th- that'll be an interesting part of the conversation as we move forward. And it's, it's just interesting how um, Kamala, who's on a, a totally different spectrum than AOC, but it's interesting to see how women of color in particular are viewed by the public and, and where we still need to grow. And, and I experienced this myself as an elected official in the, in the Utah State Legislature. Um, a lot of times people will say, we have to control Angela. Oh, what, well, what is she going to say now? But those same um, expectations aren't put on some of my other colleagues who are women that are not women of color. Well, thank you for your insight. And Representative Romero, thanks for all you're doing with our legislature. It's so good to be part of a, a group of people that care so much about the state of Utah. So thank you very much for being with us today. And thank you for having me today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.